From 89.7 WUWM Milwaukee's NPR, this is Lake Effect. I'm Audrey Nowakowski. Today, we'll learn how the DEVELOP program is working to address inequities in the local commercial real estate industry. We'll tell you about some places in Wisconsin to visit for Black History Month. Then, Kenosha-based artist Jamie Brown shares more about her newest artistic chapter. I think so often as artists, we are under this false impression that we have to turn ourselves into this brand where we have a recognizable style and people can see your murals and know exactly right away who did it. I don't care about that anymore. Plus, we'll tell you about Battlebox, a black-owned gaming store in Milwaukee. A safe place, that safe haven, that nerd haven that we've kind of created up here, uh, it's worth something. All that's coming up on Lake Effect, but first, here are today's headlines. This is Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. I'm Audrey Nowakowski. Thanks for joining us. Less than 3% of new commercial real estate development is led by people of color. There are many factors that contribute to this, including historical and systemic barriers to access for underrepresented developers. Baker Tilly, a tax and assurance firm, is trying to build equity and increase the number of underrepresented commercial real estate developers through their DEVELOP initiative. Through areas like education, resources, and relationships, DEVELOP is designed to help Black-owned development firms tackle the complexities of affordable housing, grow their business, and build diversity in the industry. To learn more about the program, I'm joined by DEVELOP Program Director Matthew Paschel, Don Bernards, Baker Tilly's partner in charge of affordable housing and transactions practice, and Anthony Casey, principal at KG Development Group, a local real estate group. Paschel begins by explaining what the key goals of DEVELOP are. The three immediate pillars of DEVELOP are access to capital, access to social capital, and access to affordable housing subject matter expertise. And really, we started having more formal conversations in May of 2020 in the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd about what did it mean to take this kind of holistic approach to think more critically about what we as a team could do better for our clients and what additional value could we drive to them. Um, And so from that became, okay, we recognize consistently that these are the issues that our developers are having. And so if we we can reach into our Baker Tilly Rolodex and really be the convener and connector through conferences, through formal and informal introductions to help our clients gain access to the resources that they need. Um, And so I would say kind of just to to further affirm Don's point, it's really about leaving communities and our clients better than we found them. I'm hoping you can touch upon those three pillars a little bit more because in in the landscape today, less than 3% of new commercial real estate development is led by people of color and other underrepresented groups. So what kind of barriers attribute to this extremely low percentage? And if you want to speak on it from a Baker Tilly perspective, and then Anthony, if you want to follow up with your personal experience. I'll just kind of start with, with financial resources. You know, a lot of these programs are, you know, 25, 30 years old. We talk a lot about loan housing tax credits, but other community development. And there's there's underwriting policies and procedures that have been in place. There's some standards. And if you don't meet these boxes, you know, if you don't have, it's quite frankly, you need capital. You need a million dollars of cash in the bank and you need $5 million of overall net worth. If you don't have that, it's a large, large barrier to entry. And how many, you know, people and in, in, in underrepresented uh, communities have that access to capital? So that is one of the biggest barriers. And we've been working uh, both internally, but with many stakeholders, too many to name lenders and, and other uh, financing professionals to really kind of step back and look at this. You know, do I need 
kind of these old underwriting standards. Let's look at the risks of the transactions, the quality of the the, the experience, the uh, the developers bringing in others. So, so that's one thing we're really addressing is kind of that access to, to financial resources. Um, I'll turn over to Matt, the other. Yeah, and then from I think from the to the point you made, Arthur, about statistics of diversity in our industry, I think that there are just not not many people from unrepresented backgrounds understand exactly what commercial real estate is, understand the depth of that it's not just selling houses or single family homes or selling buildings, but that you can you can build communities and you can impact a variety of outcomes. And so I think that has to do with there are not a lot of you know undergraduate real estate programs. It's harder for people to not see people that are real estate developers in their own community and have access to developers in their community to learn more about the industry and be more informed. And so I think that's one of those things that we as a team step back and said, okay, how can we solve this problem? What does it look like for us to address not only the current support and resources for the developers that are in this industry right now, but how do we increase the talent pipeline of diverse talent in this industry starting in high school and starting in college? And so we've had the opportunity, we're currently sponsoring two high school interns on our team. We've sponsored two college-aged interns in the past year as well because we understand that not only is it investing in kind of this generation that's really stepping into development and wants to build, but really to shape the minds of the youth to help them understand the opportunities that are available to them in the commercial real estate industry as well. So Anthony, can you share a bit more about, you know, what were your thoughts of commercial development before you even got into this field? Like what made you interested and once you were trying to get into it, what kind of difficulties were you facing or what kind of things were you realizing like, oh, I need to learn more about, say, federal tax credits or oh, I'm sure there's a ton to navigate here. Yes, yes. Thank you, Audrey. And uh, and Don and Matt is 100 percent correct. And just to even take a step back for myself personally, uh, you know, when I was 16, I was on my way to prison uh, facing 20 years. Uh, that was just part of the environment I grew up in across the country. You know, a lot of black communities, folks are just not exposed to other things that's outside of there, you know, kind of what you see on TV and movies sometimes what you see out your front door in these communities, and that becomes your reality. Uh, so luckily, my uh, God had a different plan for me. Uh, I was able to, you know, avoid going to prison. I went to college, got into the, uh, you know, got to work in construction as a project engineer, got into the ACRE program. That was when I was first really exposed to commercial real estate. I was back in like 2016, 17. I still smell like ACRE a little bit on me, like, you know, but, uh, once I got in, you know, Acre, it was like a light just went off my head, like, wow, like, you know, I can actually be a real estate developer. But in order to become that is, you know, what you do out the Acre, you got to meet folks like Don, meet folks like Matt, and they expose you to other folks that's in the industry, whether they're, you know, legal side, uh, equity partners, debt providers, other developers who may partner with you. And, you know, it's going back to exposure. A lot of folks are not exposed, and I'm glad that Baker Chili had these programs like Devil Up that's exposing a lot of people to the industry of commercial real estate because some people don't think this is a thing you know uh especially in the black community that hey we can be real estate developers and maybe unaware of a lot of different programs and resources out here that can help you you know to that next level but for me it's been everything and uh don and matt and baker tilly what they're doing uh is really changing the game can you share some examples of kind of some of the stuff that this program has helped you walk through and, and what kind of projects it's helping you work on currently? Uh, most definitely. Uh, you can basically say everything from A to Z. Uh, when you uh, have somebody like Berkett Tilly with, with you, it really makes sure that your equity people are comfortable because they know you have some you know, expertise with you. And then just going throughout the process, you really get to learn, you know, what is good underwriting, you know, from Berkett Tilly because, you know, once they send over their performance, you can kind of 
I use that as like a, 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 a like a you know like a tool to educate myself on like you know okay this is how my expenses should look you know these how my uh, you know reserves should look this is how my income assessment should look and then you know being able to email Don you know email Matt Ethan Caitlin you know they get back right back with you hop on a call walk you through the questions you may have and uh, so like I said we're currently working on um, two projects actually three projects with Baker Tilly uh, right now one that involves historical tax credits. Another one, we submitted an RFP, and the one in uh, Nevada, we're working with a church. And I said, really having a bank until you with you uh, really makes you extremely more comfortable because, you know, you have somebody that's, you know, watching over your shoulder. And again, you're learning with Baker Tilly and and they take that time to kind of, you know, go through each step and each detail with you. To get into a bit more about the landscape, I know Baker Tilly is based in Chicago, but it includes Milwaukee and Madison. So I'm hoping, can you share a bit more about how Milwaukee's developing landscape is and and what are the main issues or needs you are trying to address here in Milwaukee? You know, I think, again, you know, we've talked a lot about the Acre Associates and Commercial Real Estate Program. Give a lot of uh, credit uh, credit to uh, Mark Epley, who's a professor at Marquette University in 2004, realized the same you know, I think it's the same sobering facts, Audrey. You know, I don't know what the percentage was in 2004, but well, it's only 3% today. So what was it in 2004? And so, you know, there's a lot of good work done. Milwaukee's just been fantastic. If you look at the landscape, development landscape today in Milwaukee versus, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it's it's a different world. Some of the leading developers uh, were, you know, were, were new to this industry, uh, you know, five, 10 years ago. So I think that's an exciting change. I'm sure Anthony has some feedback on that too, or Matt. Just to kind of go off that, I mean, I think that was one of the reasons that when we wanted to host the first annual develop event, it had to be in Milwaukee, right? Because we we understood that Milwaukee was a home market for us, but that it was also this beacon of underrepresented developer talent as a product of the ACO program, as a product of the formal investment into kind of developing this pipeline of talent in, in the state of Wisconsin um, to do both community development work, economic development work, as well as as well as commercial real estate. Oh, yes, I agree. And I think just again, having Baker Tilly there uh, and then this DevOps program, you know, is really uh, getting folks, you know, involved, you know, whether you're, because uh, for Acre, you know, you got to take a test. You got to, it's not like, you know, Acre hosts workshops or things like that. You actually got to, you know, be a part of the actual, the program in order to, you know, kind of learn. But versus with Baker Tilly, you know, they have workshops, webinars, you know, this Devil Up program where you can actually come and learn, you know, and really see if there's something that you want to uh, really get into. And I think, uh, too, like I said, to Don's point, uh, Milwaukee is really changing. Uh, you know, it's a ton of developers come out of the Acre, but still, you still need that, that mentor or that person that you can call on. But again, I think that's, you know, what they care about and they want to help serve. And uh, I think just having Baker Tilly in the community is going to uh, bring out more developers, you know, just from the even high school level going into Acre and going into careers, you know, into commercial real estate. So I'm pretty excited for the future of uh, Milwaukee. Matthew, you mentioned you had your first develop event in Milwaukee this past spring. What kind of community feedback did you get from that? You know, did it show you what's going in the right direction with this program? And perhaps did you notice anything that needs to be adjusted as you continue to talk to developers in the community and continue to build on this program? That's a great question. So first and foremost, we got fantastic feedback from the stakeholders in the city of Milwaukee. Um, The question was kind of, you know, can we do this every year? And, you know, sometimes I think we kind of operate in this vacuum where you don't necessarily understand or appreciate all the things that are happening around you or just how many people that look like you are doing meaningful work and transformative work. And so to walk into a room 
of 125 plus commercial real estate professionals and have 80% of the room be people of color was very powerful. And it was very powerful for a wide variety of reasons. And so I think not only was the quality of the content there, but it was also, you know, people looking around and saying, I've never seen a room like this before. I lived in Milwaukee my whole life. I never seen a room like this before from people that were focused on real estate. And so I think it kind of helped us understand the power of what we're doing, not only for the city of Milwaukee, but really as we continue to think about what does it mean to be, to Don's language earlier, this convener and connector of stakeholders from across the country that are interested in promoting equity and creating opportunity for those from underrepresented backgrounds in, in commercial real estate. Matthew Paschel is Develop's program director. Don Bernards is Baker Tilly's partner in charge of affordable housing and transactions practice. And Anthony Casey is the principal at KG Development Group here in Milwaukee. There are many places in Wisconsin that are significant to our state's black history. As Black History Month comes to a close, we're looking at a few of the places you could visit. Lake Effect's Becky Mortensen speaks with Amanda Weibel from Travel Wisconsin. Amanda, let's start with the Milton House in Janesville. The historic building was a stop on the Underground Railroad. What else can you tell us about its history? The Milton House is such a unique piece of history. It's Wisconsin's last certified Underground Railroad station that can be toured. It's actually a former stagecoach inn thought to have been a stop for freedom seekers on their way to Canada. The Milton House was built by Joseph Goodrich. He was a member of the Seventh-day Baptist Church, which is a denomination that officially denounced slavery, and he moved to Rock County from Massachusetts. The museum, which is a national historic landmark, is located just north of Janesville in the city of Milton, and they welcome visitors year-round to learn more about its history in the Underground Railroad. What can people expect if they visit the Milton House today? You can tour the 1844 Stagecoach Inn, as well as an original log cabin from 1837 on the property and a tunnel that was used to move freedom seekers between the two buildings. The tours last about an hour and you'll learn about the early history of the community of Milton while walking in the same path that freedom seekers would have at the Milton House. So it's a really, really powerful tour. It's open year round, uh, but if you're looking to visit soon, you'll wanna call ahead to make an appointment. They're currently offering tours Wednesday through Friday Uh, but tours do need to be scheduled at least 24 hours in advance. From June through August, walk-in tours are welcome, and you can check their website for hours and availability throughout the year. Next, we'll look at the Cheyenne Valley near Hillsborough. What's the story there? This is a lesser-known story of Wisconsin's Black history. It's the community of Cheyenne Valley in the Driftless region. In the 1800s, Black settlers arrived in Vernon County with the assistance of a Quaker religious order to establish a farming community. The community quickly blossomed, and they established some of the state's first integrated schools, churches, and sports teams. And in the 19th century, Cheyenne Valley was the largest rural African-American settlement in Wisconsin. And what kind of things can people see if they visit there today? While sadly many of the original structures of the community are no longer standing, the Vernon County Historical Society has a great driving tour map available. And that tour takes visitors past some important locations in the formation of that community, including some round barns, former schools, the old town hall, cemeteries, and settler farms. Several of the round barns um, that were built by the son of one of Cheyenne Valley's most prominent community members are actually still in use today, and they can be seen from the tour route. 
Finally, let's talk about Paramount Records and how it put Grafton on the map for blues music. This is such a unique place to discover a piece of Black music history. So in Grafton, the city north of Milwaukee, it was once home to Paramount Records, which was instrumental in producing the early blues records. Between 1929 and 1932, the Paramount Recording Studio attracted hundreds of Wisconsin and out-of-state musicians to record. So while the studio only operated for a few years, it would produce records that would later influence some of the genre's biggest stars. The studio no longer exists, unfortunately, but Grafton honors the history of the studio and the mostly Black artists who recorded for the label with the Paramount Plaza. You can go to this public plaza and walk on their distinctive sidewalk. It resembles a piano keyboard, so it's very fun. Um, But the plaza also recognizes the studio's role in the foundational era of the blues. It has tributes to legendary blues artists like Blind Lemon Jefferson, Ma Rainey, and Charlie Patton, who is often recognized as the father of the Delta blues. There's also an entertainment stage that hosts an array of community activities throughout the year. Well, Amanda, thank you for joining me on Lake Effect and sharing some more information about some of these Black historical sites in Wisconsin. Thanks so much for having me. For more ideas to round out your trip, visit TravelWisconsin.com. Amanda Weibel is a communications officer for Travel Wisconsin. She spoke with Lake Effect's Becky Mortensen. You can find more coverage of Black History Month at WUWM.com. Did you know that you can listen to Lake Effect as a podcast? Just search for Lake Effect wherever you get your podcast to download and listen to us on demand. You can also follow WUWM on Instagram, where you'll find videos and pictures from news stories and Lake Effect interviews. In about 20 minutes, we'll tell you about BattleBox, a Black-owned gaming store here in Milwaukee. But first, we'll learn about a Kenosha-based artist whose mural art has been seen around the world. That's coming up next on Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. You're listening to Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. It's hard to believe, but spring is slowly creeping up on us. And with the new season, local artists are warming up to show their pieces. Jamie Brown is a Kenosha-based artist who primarily works on large-scale projects, murals, and canvas. She'll be unveiling a new collection at the Milwaukee Spring Gallery Night in April. She chats with Lake Effect's Mallory Chang about the upcoming show. So, Jamie, your art has been seen all over the world in places like Dubai and Halifax and here in Milwaukee. Several of your murals live in the city, like on 2nd Street and Wisconsin Avenue. And your murals are filled with large, bold, colored geometric shapes. And just last summer, you completed a mural during the Milwaukee Night Market. Where do you get your inspiration from when you're creating a mural? For me, it depends on each particular job. For the one that I have on the 2nd Street Skywalk, it's entitled Kindred. And for me, my inspiration came from kind of the whole entire atmosphere of this neighborhood, how, you know, it it truly belongs to no one, but it belongs to everyone. And so I really wanted to honor like the roots of Milwaukee and how did it start off and how did it go from this, you know, Native American, you know, heavily influenced area to, you know, as it kind of transitioned into the industrial side of Milwaukee. And now we have this amazing community where we have like, you know, the sports teams and we have all these businesses and we have all these arts and just everything is going on here. And so I really wanted to tell the story of that. And so through that, 
I put each of the symbols that were relevant to the story within the mural. So from afar, you think it's just, you know, cool colors and shapes. But then once you understand what all the symbols in there represent and what they mean, then it all kind of takes shape and then you kind of can't unsee it. So no matter what I do, whether it's somebody saying, hey, listen, you know, we have this space, we want you to liven it up, do whatever you want to do. Sometimes people will ask for a rendering in advance and sometimes they say, just go for it. We trust you, like just make it look cool. So I guess it all kind of depends on the situation. I see that mural like pretty often because that's where our station is. WWM is around that area. What are some of the meanings behind the symbols? Well, one of the main ones is in the center. It looks like a bunch of diamond shapes. And really what it is, it's the Ojibwe symbol for community, which looks like a triangle with kind of like a shape on top, like an X on top. So I basically inverted that to make the diamond pattern. And if you look up at the top, you'll see some wigwams. And on the bottom, you'll see the lakefront of Milwaukee. It's a beach with a water scene. And then as it transitions to the right-hand side, you can see there's like these vertical, almost like tube looking things. And that represents the smokestack of the industrial side of Milwaukee. And then also in there is a clover shape, which it kind of honors the building that it's connected to the clover building. And if you go inside of there, you'll see that that shape is represented everywhere in the building, in the wrought iron fence, in the, even in like the furnace covers. I mean, everywhere you look, you will find that symbol. So that's kind of just paying a little nod to that in the history of of that building. And so, you know, every time you walk by it, you can kind of look and see something and maybe ask yourself like, hmm, does that mean anything? I wonder if that's something specific because most of the time in my work, I sneak little things inside of it. And sometimes I tell what it is and sometimes I don't. So it's like an Easter egg hunt. You know, you'll, you might find something that you're looking for and then you might never find what you're looking for, but then something will surprise you that you weren't expecting. That's a fun little fact about your work. Yes. Now, now I'm going to see some of your murals across Milwaukee. I'm like, hmm, I wonder if there's a little Easter egg in here intentionally. I'll give you an easy one. I did one for Bayview Printing Company over in Bayview. And Ashley, the owner, is just an absolute delight. And she said, listen, just make it cool. I don't care what you do. Just make it fun and colorful. So I did the front of the building where it's kind of like the paint is just running off the building down the stairs and everything. And you can't really see it from street level, but if you actually walk up the stairs where like a welcome mat would be, there's a whole entire other kind of like mini mural within itself there with some colors. But then on the side of the stairs, which you can see, it looks like some abstract kind of like blob shapes and everything else, but it's actually the initials of Ashley, her husband and her two children. So from afar, it just looks like almost like a, you know, like a sunny side up egg kind of shape. But then when you see it, you're like, wait a second. And then you can't unsee it. So I love just hiding little kind of like hidden gems in my work. Whenever I see some of your work, I'm going to try to find the Easter eggs. But um, with the big murals that you painted last summer, you live painted these murals like in front of a lot of people during the Milwaukee night market. And there were like over thousands of visitors to the Milwaukee night market last year. And have you ever done live painting before like that? What was that like for you to paint this whole mural that night? 
Well, yes, I've done live painting before, <clears throat> but this one was a little bit different because I was actually within the building. So there is a panel of glass separating me from everybody else. So in a way, I kind of felt like a zoo animal, like I'm just in there doing my thing and everybody was walking by and observing. But I would come out from time to time, get some fresh air and, you know, kind of talk with people and say, oh, hey, we've been watching you. This looks so cool. This and that. But the difference between that one is the first one I had it mapped out. And so I knew exactly what I was going to do. I have a dear friend of mine, um, Olivia Moulter, and she is an artist based in Milwaukee as well. And she's amazing. And so she was working on that with me. And I told her, I said, listen, I want to, you know, set this up just this way. We're going to paint it like this and we'll be good. Okay. We did that. But the second one I came in and I said, you know what, this time it was a different night market. I said, I I'm purposely not going to come in with a plan. I'm going to come in with paint and paintbrushes. And I don't even have any idea what I'm going to do, but I have five hours to make this happen. Start to finish. No plan, no map, no idea. I'm just going to freestyle it. Let's do it. I've never done it just like without any structure at all. So that was kind of my first time just living in the moment. And I said, it's either going to be incredibly freeing and fun or it's going to be a complete disaster. And then I'll have to come back tomorrow morning and repaint everything. <laughs> but actually it turned out great. And we were both really happy with it. It was a different feeling, but a, a really nice one. So I'm, I got a good reaction from the people as well. So I would say it was a success. That's really exciting. I'm glad that you got to have fun and it wasn't stressful the entire time of creating the mural. And I'm glad you got to do it with a friend. That sounds really fun. And you're also going to be showing some new pieces very soon at a Milwaukee's Spring Gallery Night this upcoming April. And I don't know if you can give us a little sneak peek, but what will we be seeing at your newest collection of work? Well, I should first start off by saying, if you would like to see either of those murals, you have a very limited time to do so, because what I'm actually going to do is I'm working again with 310W and the murals that I painted for the night market, they were only supposed to be a temporary thing for maybe a month or so, but we just left them because why not? I mean, it's colorful, it's fun, it's nice to have it. However, for the gallery night, what we're going to do is we're actually going to paint over those. And so, yeah, so those murals are, they're departing forever. And so we're going to paint over those. And then on top of that, I'm going to bring in, because I do gallery work as well, like canvases and, you know, commission pieces like that. And so those are going to be hung and displayed on the surface that was once my night market murals. So it kind of comes full circle for me, which is nice. And this new collection is something wild and crazy and unlike anything I've ever done before. It basically just represents my new attitude of me no longer trying to restrict myself with self-imposed boundaries. I think so often as artists, we are under this false impression that we have to turn ourselves into this brand where we have a recognizable style and people can see your murals and know exactly right away who did it. I don't care about that anymore. I don't. I just really want to do what makes me happy. And if people love it and they flock to it, great. And if they don't, great because I am just I'm just ready to kick down the door and do whatever makes me feel happy inside and in this case it's a collection of very crazy paintings that are collages that involved mixed media and complete chaos and it's an absolute contrast from my laser straight geometric murals so it's refreshing to say the least. 
what spurred this change for you? Why did you want to push yourself out of the boundaries you put up for yourself? Um, because I spent the last two years trying to restrict myself within a box because that was a style that I was known for and people know the geometric side. And, you know, when I paint on canvas, it's nothing like how I do for murals. And I said, well, you know what? I really like the way my murals turn out. Let me try doing that on canvas. But it's just so, it's the laser straight lines. It's taping off everything. It's make, there's zero room for error. You cannot mess up. Like it has to be absolute perfection. And that's just not the way that I work. Like when I, when I paint and I feel the most free as when I don't have restrictions and much like how I am in my life, the more you try to restrict me, the harder I'm going to break free. So I've kind of done that to myself in a way. And I've spent the last two years trying to, okay, well, I'm going to be like this and I'm going to paint that. No, I don't care anymore. I'm painting what I want to paint. And if you like it, great. You're more than welcome to look at it and enjoy it or buy it or whatever. And if you don't, that's fine too, but I'm not going to paint and have my entire art based around this image of what kind of artist I am. I'm going to do what I want and I no longer care. So sometimes that's going to be mixed media. Sometimes that's going to be collage. I've been playing around with plaster and spackle and glitter, wood pieces, installation, fabric. I am just all over the place crazy. And it's just really refreshing. You got to have glitter. That's really exciting. Yes. I feel like this new collection kind of appeals to this like inner eight-year-old girl that you know, before we had to worry about grown up life and all this smart technology and everything else when our life was just running and playing and having fun with our friends and all that stuff. Sometimes it's like we need to step back and stop scrolling and get away from these digital screens and get away from this like virtual life that we live where we just interact with our friends and family through text messages or shared memes and things like that. And we just need to get back into like real life. And when I think about when did I feel the most alive, it was childhood because you're not burdened or stressed by any of the real world things that adults have to deal with. So I'm kind of like completely extracting myself from where we are now in the world and bringing myself back to that happy place. And it's just exploding on the canvas. And I'm very pleased with it. That's so exciting, Jamie. I'm really excited for you and your new um, artistic chapter. And I really appreciate you being here today on Lake Effect. So thank you so much, Jamie, again, for being here on Lake Effect. Well, thank you so much for having me. And yes, it's going to be the official public debut. I've been kind of hinting on my Instagram here and there, but it's going to be my official debut of this new collection. And I'm very excited about that. And hopefully everyone will be receptive to it. And it will appeal to that, that playful childhood innocence that we all had at one point. Jamie Brown is a Kenosha-based artist. She spoke with Lake Effect's Mallory Chang. There's a game store in Milwaukee's uptown neighborhood that aims to serve the blurred community. That's black or brown nerds. Battlebox is a family business operated by Bryant Wilcox. WUWM's Rafa Munoz spoke with him about the store, their mission, and their struggle to keep the business alive. I represent the urban nerd. Bryant Wilcox operates the Battlebox space, which includes a storefront and a cafe and lounge at 5431 West Lisbon Avenue. I asked Brian about the origins of the storefront. Yeah, Doc's, Doc's Pawn and Jewelry back in the day. So when we first we first came in, I seen the glass and you know I seen the doors and the, the metal and the, the bricks. I'm like, 
I have no problem with my good stuff being in here. The Battlebox store is a buy, sell, and trade store that has members, but becoming a member is easy. Just coming by. It's being supportive, being positive. There's no fear or anything. It's just linking up with us. Most folks I tell link up with us on social media so you know what we got going on. Unlike other retailers, Battlebox has its best stuff in store for their customers. Even like that shelf behind you back there with all that cool retro merchandise, we call that the hot box. Most stores like ours would have all of that stuff listed on eBay, 100%. Then you come into their stores, there's nothing in there for you to get, but just crumbs that you have to scrape through. I don't believe in selling my good stuff on eBay. I want to keep it in stores so my friends and supporters 100% know for a fact that they always got something cool to come here and find. Like you're always going to find Pokemon. You're always going to find good GameCube games and Game Boy Advance games. And, and uh, that's my mission. That's my job. The idea for the cafe and lounge is simple. Just a nerd bar, urban geek bar for geeks, you know. Blurds, which is black or brown nerds, um, it had to be made, you know. We didn't feel welcome when we went to other places. It was designed for us not to be there. How do I know that? The music that they would play, there was nothing urban, there was nothing hip hop ever. Then nowadays, you, there's like a little sprinkle in there. They do just enough. Even with the drinks, there was never any drinks. It was rare that there was Jack Daniels. It was rare that there was Hennessy. It was rare that the drinks that they think that people, that minorities drink. Battlebox has big plans in store for the warehouse that's on the property. We were trying to put a resource center in there. So we want to do like a gaming resource STEM uh, facility back there in our warehouse in the back. is a uh, 5,000 square foot warehouse, two, two floors to it. Um, and it's right here on this property. It's part of the property. However, the store could be closing. These realtor cards, and there's more than this. These are just the cards that I have over this week. This week I've accumulated, not over the last month or two. Uh, we're really thinking about getting out of here because we don't have any assistance. I asked Brian what it would mean to the gaming and geek community to lose Battlebox. It's going to hurt, but at the same time, we've been fighting. You know, I've been fighting. Uh, I've been fighting a good fight for a very, very long time. Closing the space would impact his family too. That's the hardest part of even thinking about getting rid of it. That's like the last nail, you know, there's like a board hanging. It's like, that's like the last nail. It's like, how do I get out of that? It feels awesome because it feels like, they talk about generational wealth. I don't know about the wealth part, but it's just definitely generational. <laughs> uh, but, um, I mean, it's the best thing. I, I think it's, it's the stuff that dreams are made of. Brian was clear that the business needs assistance to move forward. That safe place, that safe haven, that nerd haven that we've kind of created up here, um, it's worth something. I don't care if the city recognizes it or not, or even these people, because there's, I'm talking big dogs. I'm not talking about the little people in the city that live in paycheck to paycheck. Those are the folks I'm talking about. I'm talking about these corporate groups, these different places that see us, that know us. Why not help us out? For now, Battlebox will keep moving forward. There is an end vision for this. Like I do see something bigger for it if we stayed, um, if we're able to stay. This is Rafa Munoz with 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. We want to hear your story ideas for Lake Effect. If you have an idea for an interview or a conversation you'd like to hear on the show, give our community connection line a call. 
The number is 414-251-8970. You can also submit your ideas at wuwm.com slash effect. Coming up, we'll explore some new songs from local musicians in this month's Milwaukee Music Roundup. Keep listening to Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR. This is Like Effect on 89.7 WUWM. I'm Audrey Nowakowski. February was an incredibly busy month in Milwaukee, with everything from Black History Month celebrations, Valentine's Day, Mardi Gras, and of course, Punchki Day, Milwaukeeans have had a very busy month, and musicians were no exception. Local bands have been putting out a plethora of new songs, and as always, Matt Wilde has been listening. Wilde is a co-founder of Milwaukee Record, and every month he creates a list of some of the best new releases from local musicians called the Milwaukee Music Roundup. He joins Lake Effect's Joy Powers to share a few of those songs. So this is an interesting month. I don't know a lot of the bands that we're talking about, and we're starting off with one who I do not know. The song uh, itself, it sounds uh, a little glammy, light, a little spacey. Absolutely. And uh, probably the reason you don't know this group is because they are very, very new. And this is literally the first song they put out. This is a brand new Milwaukee duo called Beauty Steps. And the song that they've put out is called Peaches. Now, Beauty Steps, uh, like I said, is a new Milwaukee duo, but it is uh, made up of some uh, Milwaukee music veterans, uh, namely Diamato and uh, Robert Weiss. They are the duo that makes up Beauty Steps. And Diamato especially is someone who was maybe six, seven, eight years ago was very, very busy uh, in the Milwaukee music scene. He put out a really terrific solo album back in 2015 or so. Uh, his live shows were always fantastic. He had a big like 10, 12 piece band with dancers and everything and did this kind of really funky soul kind of thing. And he was always fantastic to see him live. And for the last few years, he's been kind of quiet. So it's really, really cool to see Diamato kind of reemerge in this uh, new duo called Beauty Steps. And uh, like you said, the, the song that they put out, Peaches, uh, yeah, it does have this very kind of spacey, kind of uh, lightly psychedelic psych pop vibe. I really, really like this song. I know it's very early in the year. It's only February or whatever. It feels silly to say, like, this is my favorite Milwaukee song of the year, but I'll say it. This is my favorite Milwaukee song of the year so far. Really, really can't get enough of this song. Just a well-crafted song. It's uh, from an upcoming record that Beauty Steps are putting out. The record is called Show Me Where. That's coming out in May. And there's just a real cast of characters on this album. A lot of Milwaukee music, uh, heavy hitters, people like Haley Conway, Josh Evert, Nick Lang, the list goes on and on. So I'm really, really looking forward to that record. And in the meantime, I just cannot get enough of this song. It is Beauty Steps with Peaches. Never will. 
That was Peaches by Beauty Steps. Now, interestingly, the next song I would describe in a similar light. It's not it's not quite the same genre, but it's also very light, very spacey, with a, with a decidedly different vibe. Absolutely. Now, this is someone that we've kind of inadvertently talked about a lot, I think, over uh, the last few years on the show, really. And this is uh, Martha Cannon. And Martha is part of a group that I've talked about a lot, one of my favorite Milwaukee groups, La Resorts. Uh, but before she was part of that band with uh, Vinnie Kirscher, uh, she had been putting out music for a long, long time under a solo project called Lady Cannon. And so that's the song we're going to be listening to right now, Lady Cannon, with a brand new song called Ashamed. And like I said, Martha's been putting out songs under Lady Cannon for many, many years, at least a decade or so. And this new song uh, comes from a new EP called Take It Out On Me. That is out now. And it uh, the song shares kind of a lot of DNA with uh, La Resorts. It's kind of got this lightly tropical, very spacey, little bit, you know, very dreamy sort of vibe. And what I love about uh, Martha and Lady Cannon is she's just, I, I don't know, got to be one of the best, I think, uh, for my money, one of the best Milwaukee songwriters out there. Just knows how to write a fantastic song. Her lyrics are always fantastic. So whether she's uh, with uh, La Resorts or solo, I think uh, Martha is uh, one of Milwaukee's best. And so uh, I really, really like this new song as well. So this is Lady Cannon with Ashamed. Shamed by Lady Cannon. Now, uh, while I definitely wouldn't describe this next song as easy listening, to me it does still have kind of an airy, spacey sound to it. Uh, when I was listening to it, I thought it, it kind of sounded like the music that you would hear behind like an astronaut floating in space, but like on a mission. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's always struck me as kind of uh, the music that if the monolith from 2001 had a theme song, it would be something like this. It's got that kind of big, majestic, spacey vibe. And this is a Milwaukee group called Astral Hand, and the song in question is Contact. 
Now, Astral Hand uh, kind of has an interesting backstory. Uh, this has been a long time coming, this song and uh, upcoming album that they're putting out uh, called Lords of Data. Uh, Astral Hand kind of formed from the ashes of a older Milwaukee band called Calliope, and they formed around the end of 2019. And they began recording uh, their first Astral Hand album. And then, of course, in early 2020, the pandemic happened and everything was put on hold. So this record and really this band uh, itself has been kind of on hold for about three years now. So they are finally ready to uh, get their record out. They have a release show March 10th at Cactus Club. Really, really looking forward to that. And yeah, I really, really like this song. It's Astral Hand. Uh, the song is Contact, and it does have this big, uh, kind of heavier psych sound, very stately, very cosmic, kind of dark. Uh, I really, really like that vibe. I'm really looking forward to the rest of the album. There's a great video that they have for this song, too, which also very uh, fits in well with the vibe of this song. It's Astral Hand with Contact. by Astral Hand. Now the final song comes from an artist who I do know, Abby Jean, and I I think this song is really in her typical style. It feels very retro, throwback to the early 60s. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This is uh, definitely in her wheelhouse of kind of a retro soul kind of vibe. Uh, Abby Jean, a uh, artist uh, from Milwaukee who has been living in uh, New York for a number of years now. So even though she's uh, based in New York these days and is operating out of New York and making a name for herself out there, will always be a Milwaukee artist. Uh, has ties here, uh, grew up here, played here in kind of her early career, has a, a deep affinity for like the Hi-Fi Cafe in Bayview. It's kind of where she came out of. Came back a couple of years ago to play a, a great uh, set at Humboldt Park and uh, she's just fantastic. And she uh, was recently signed to a uh, Philadelphia label, uh, what they call a synth and soul label. The name of that label is Eraserhood Sound. And uh, she's been putting out a couple new singles out on that. She put one out uh, late last year. And her newest one, it's called No Better, a really well-crafted, uh, really just kind of gets you right away, just grabs you right away, this kind of retro 60s, 70s soul vibe. Uh, the song is going to be put out on a 7-inch. I believe that's coming out in April. And yeah, Abby Jean, just one of those artists who I think her time is, it, it it's here. She's been kind of on the cusp of making it big, going really, really big for a long time now. And I think 2023, uh, you know, based on the strength of this song and others, uh, 2023 could be her year. Like I said, she's been out in New York, but uh, she'll always be Milwaukee's own Abby Jean. So this is Abby Jean with her latest song, No Better. Hey. 
Know Better by Abby Jean. All right, well, Matt Wild, thank you so much for joining us once again here on Lake Effect. Thanks so much for having me. Matt Wild is the co-founder of Milwaukee Record, and he spoke with Lake Effect's Joy Powers. Every month, Wild publishes his Milwaukee Music Roundup, and he shares a few of those songs with us. You can find his previous conversations at wuwm.com. And that's Lake Effect for today. I'm Audrey Nowakowski. If you've missed any of today's conversations or you'd like to take Lake Effect on the go, simply download our podcast. Search for Lake Effect wherever you get your podcasts to listen to all of our shows on demand. Tomorrow on Lake Effect, we'll learn about the negative health impacts of prolonged sitting and some simple changes you can make in your daily life to counteract it. That's tomorrow at noon on Lake Effect, right here on listener-supported 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR.